Welcome, everyone. I have, uh, like, what, just three songs from the worship team this morning? I guess they're expecting a long message from me. <laughs> so they had to cut the music short so that I'd have all morning to preach. <laughs> so we're on this series, right, Grace Upon Grace. And this morning is kind of the topic of, well, I'll read you the email that Joey sent me a little while back, and he said, he asked me to, he goes, will you be willing to share? The topic would be enduring by grace. The main idea would be transformative, how transformative grace is determined by a change in character, attitude, and conduct, are you ready to change your attitude? No. Character. Yeah. <laughs> conduct. That means Bob Ravenstein's got to behave. <laughs> My hope is that people would grow in their understanding of how grace can empower us during hard times. So the first thing that caught my attention is he said, would you be willing to share? I'll share. Once upon, no. I want to preach when I'm up here. I want to just share, but I know why he asked me to share, because when I get to preaching, sometimes that spit starts flying, <laughs> and it became a health hazard. They might have to shut me down. So he asked me to share. And then the second thing was, now, if you notice, the trend has been everybody who's been speaking on this series, they're in their 20s or their 30s. <laughs> oh, all of a sudden, we jump up to the 60s. And I'm like, they were thinking enduring. He's been around a long time. He's been enduring. So we'll ask him to share kind of an onomatopoeia there, isn't it? Enduring. And just a little squirrel thing here, but I did think about it. If the average lifespan of American male would compared to a four-mile, I mean, a, a one-mile four-lap race, I've already run three and a third lap. Whoa, they're like, we better get them to share before. <laughs> Too long here. All right, with all silliness put aside here, right? This is an important subject matter, so to speak. It is an important biblical concept for us to, to, to dig into this morning. So I'm going to, first of all this morning, I'm going to take just a little bit of time to kind of define exactly what are we talking about when we talk about endurance in the context of Scripture, because endurance is a word that, you know, we kind of know all about. We know what endurance is, but then you start breaking it down, and it can get a little squirrely. So we're going to take a little time just to look at that, almost more of like a teaching class sort of situation. And then secondly, we're going to take a look at why God brings us into this concept of endurance and why is it an important aspect of life. And then lastly, we're going to take a look in Hebrews 12, the first few verses, and talk about how do we access this grace to endure? How do, how do we not just talk about it, know about it, but how do we access supernatural into our lives so we can endure. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time that we have together. Thank you for every heart that is here. And we just invite the precious Holy Spirit now to come and take over. Because, Lord, we need you just to take over in a desperate way in these times and for this morning, in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. All right, so first of all, in the Greek, the word endurance is hupomone, meaning to bear up under. 
Other words that are translated are to be steadfast and to be patient. In fact, many paraphrases of the Bible will put those two words together, and it talks about patiently enduring. How many of you recently have asked the Lord to give you some patience? Yeah. Well, we know what happens when you ask for patience, right? Because patience isn't something that is just dispensed upon you. It is something that you live out. Hupomone is something that you live out. Think of this life, right? This metaphor of that race that I was talking about. And it's a long distance run. And think of it in terms of you're running with a backpack on, right? Because this race that you've been called out to is your purpose for being here. You have a purpose. You are not just an accident. We jokingly sometimes say, I'm an accident, right? Because we know how life can go sideways. But you have been called to run your race. And in that, God plunks something on your back that's called responsibility. It's called being faithful to certain things that he's asking you to do in this long distance run. And hupomone comes into play when we're jogging along in life, trying to figure out this thing called life, and someone comes along or something comes along, these circumstances, this situation, or these people, and suddenly they or it plunks a 20-pound stone into your backpack, right? And you start trying to keep run because you want to run this good race for this good purpose that you have in life. But before long, that uncomfortable weight starts not only getting heavy, but it's bouncing around back there and pounding into you after every step that you take in your journey. And pretty soon you start asking Questions like, why, or how long, yeah? And we start making statements like, I don't think I need this, or I ain't got time for this. How about that one? I ain't got time for this. <laughs> no, just get, you know. We want to shed that thing off. We want to get rid of it. We start saying things like, you know how awful this is about my life? Let me, you ask me how I'm doing, sit down. You got an hour, let me tell you how it's going. Or we start saying things like, hmm, how can I avoid this person or how can I get rid of this person? How can I get them out of my life? How can I change my situation? Because I don't know how much more I can handle this. And it's at this intersection of weight that results in what? Fatigue, pain. Yeah, pain. Emotional pain, mental pain, disillusionment. Whew. What's going on around here, right? Or complaining. Or how about just getting mad? Do you ever just get mad at someone? Maybe you don't have that kind of personality, but I do. So I like to kind of just get mad sometimes at people and tell them off, especially in my head, because I'm a good Christian. I want to run well. But in my head, whoo, baby, I got some words for you. Right? Bitterness. Anxiety, resentment. How about this? Becoming cynical and jaded, right? 
Here we go again. You know, that's just how it is. Can't do nothing about it anyhow. And so there's all of these things, and when these things start heaping upon us and we start having those thoughts and words and feelings and reactions coming out of us, that's when we know that we've entered into hupomone, patiently enduring a situation or a person that we so desperately want to change or get rid of. Now, a couple of misconceptions sometimes enter into this word, so I want to just quickly go through them. First of all, clarification number one about, uh, about endurance. There's a biblical endurance, and then there's just an endurance, right? It rains on the just and the unjust. No one in life escapes some level of temptations, trials, and tests. You aren't just being picked on when you go through rough times in life. But for the follower of Christ, the intended purpose, and here's where it switches from, you know, a, a biblical perspective of endurance and just endurance in and of itself. In Scripture, the, in Christ, the intended purpose of temptations and trials has eternal implications. Whereas for nonbelievers, those who don't confess Christ, tests and trials at best lead to achieve temporal acclaim, right? And self-actualization. I'm a better person. And you, and you hear this in culture all the time, and we even can you know, clap our hands and give it and laud that at, at a certain level. But both of those are deeds of the flesh and account for nothing in the face of eternity. And that is a little, to be honest, if I were God, you know, I mean, that's a little offensive to me. You know, it's like, I mean, even if they're not a Christ follower, they've been really, really good, and they've really, really endured, and they've really gone through a lot of suffering, and they've come out looking pretty good. We need to give them something, God. Come on. But Scripture takes us a different direction on that thought process. The world lauds its own brand of endurance, and indeed, there's nothing to be, like I said, nothing... You know, remember, who remembers Reader's Digest coming into your home? Yeah, some of the older folks. And they always had drama in real life in Reader's Digest, you know. And it was about someone, you know, who was, you know, on a hike and they got lost and then they survived for how many, you know, and you go, wow. Or someone who swam across the English Channel, you know, all of these stories. And it's like, wow, it's really good stuff. But if it's not orchestrated and, and worked in the context of Christ, it's about, it's about just implications for this world. So this morning, it's going to be obviously from the perspective of Christ and eternity in terms of endurance. Clarification number two, I want to emphasize that endurance of a situation or a person is not about tolerating immoral, illegal, or unethical behavior, all right? It's one thing for a wife to have to endure a jerk of a husband, Phyllis, <laughs> but for God to ask Phyllis to endure me being physically abusive or ongoing verbal abuse, no, no. Sometimes I think, you know, I have Christians telling me about things that they're enduring from a loved one. I'm like, yeah, I don't know if God's really asking you to endure this. I think God wants you to set up some healthy boundaries, okay? And God wants you to, to, to orchestrate some things in your own self. So, enduring isn't a cover for taking on a victim or fatalistic mentality, Right, and sometimes I think in the church that can sleep. In, I mean, seep in, sleep in. Yeah, 
seep in where it's just like, oh, man, oh, this burden that the Lord has given me. And like, no, come on, step up. And let's, let's set some healthy, healthy boundaries upon that. Third clarification, endurance is not an end unto itself. Endurance is simply the working out of your salvation. Endurance does not gain you salvation. Endurance does not earn you salvation. It doesn't gain or earn our salvation. It simply is the working out of our salvation. It doesn't impute salvation unto, this, unto us. And I say this because some of us have been hammered so hard with being faithful and in enduring till the end with this implication like, boy, Miller, if you don't just whip yourself a little bit and hang in and work a little bit harder, you know, you might want to question your salvation there a little bit. This is not about the shoulds and the oughts, okay? This is about an invitation into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we have to be very careful to not let endurance become a works or shoulds or oughts mentality for us. For us. And finally, the fourth uh, clarification is, is that endurance is not just about going through hard times. It's not just about the doctor pronouncing the C word. It's not, just about what you, it's not just about that you're going through an unexpected divorce. It's not just about someone recently stabbing you in the back and saying some things behind your back that you're now trying to stand up under. Now, often in the Bible, hupomone is in the context of going through hard times and difficult situations. But it's also the same word that's used to describe the fruits of the Spirit, right? Patience, love, joy, peace. It's, it's an outworking of day-to-day life and patience. And so what it's telling me is that hupomone is relevant to me, not just when all this stuff is coming down, but when I'm driving down Route 56 which doesn't really have any passing areas to go between here and London. You can't pass very many times. And there's someone doing 50 miles an hour on the short straightaways and 35 miles an hour around the curves, and I have to sit back and let that happen. And it's like I've entered into some hoopamone at that moment in time, right? It's for that as well. Hupomone is for the mundane, the familiar, the drudgery of life. What's for dinner, right? The alarm's going off already. I can't stand my job. Church is boring. Living with unfulfilled dreams. Loneliness. I ain't getting none. (laughs) You guys are supposed to laugh about that. (laughs) Or the equivalent, right? He doesn't pay any attention to me. Shows no affection to me. Yeah. Oh, rubber hit the road right there, didn't it? Coworkers who don't keep up their end of the job. Another load of laundry. The lawn needs to be mowed again, right? I've been in this church now, what, for 27 years? And um, how many people that I've known... In fact, too many, where they, they've been here and they've been involved and active, maybe even got baptized here, and at one time were in the middle of enthusiastically serving the Lord, and, you, and all of a sudden it's like, I haven't seen them for a while, and the next thing you know, 10 years go by, 15 years go by, and you see them, and it's like, what happened? What is that drifting that slow drifting away. And um, at the sake of maybe losing you just a little bit here, I'm going to quote from C.S. Lewis. And uh, it's, it's a little bit long. I risk losing some of your attention, but at the risk of that, it's good. This is good stuff. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Screwtape Letters, right? 
Uh, for those of you who don't know, Screwtape's Letters is a fictional dialogue between this experienced demon and, this, and his protege, someone, a young demon. I don't know. There's probably not even a case to be made that there's young demons, right? They're all demons. But one is training another one, and, and the older one is giving the younger one advice about how to go about and bring defeat into the lives of Christians. And so I want to read from this excerpt from Screwtape Letters. The enemy, meaning Christ, has guarded him from you through the first great wave of temptations. Yeah, we held fast during that moment. But if only he can be kept alive, you have itself for your ally. The long, dull, monotonous years of middle-aged prosperity or middle-aged adversity are excellent campaigning weather. You see, it is so hard for these creatures to persevere. The routine of adversity, the gradual decay of youthful loves and youthful hopes, the quiet despair, hardly felt as pain, of ever overcoming the chronic temptations which we, with which we have again and again defeated them, the drabness which we create in their lives, and inarticulate resentment with which we teach them to respond to it all. All of this provides admirable opportunities of wearing out a soul by attrition. Come on, so some of us who are middle-aged or more, been there, done that, some of those mundane aspects of life where Satan wants to wear out our souls by attrition, by like, again, really? On the other hand, if the middle-aged years are prosperous, our position is even stronger. Prosperity knits a man to the world. He feels as he is finding his place in it, while really it is finding its place in him. That is why we must often wish for long life for, to our patients. Seventy years is not a day too much for the difficult task of unraveling their souls from heaven and building up a firm attachment to the earth. And therein lies an aspect of enduring that is equally... Um, able to be able to drag us down and take us away uh, from what God's design is for us. All right, so three, three verses that I've pulled up for God's purpose for endurance. Why is God taking us through, right? Well, many of us know kind of intuitively, but we're going to go through this here um, Again, just for good old scriptural review and, 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 and manifestation for our souls this morning. Deuteronomy 8, verses, verse 2. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness those 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. Endurance reveals your true heart. Amen. All right? Let's just face it. When we're not feeling the stresses or the mundane things of life, or we don't have overwhelming emotional or circumstantial issues coming our way, we do pretty good. You know, we can put on that nice face. We can put on that good presentation. But the moment the stress hits and the hurt comes and the disappointment comes, we can turn into pretty grouchy, grouchy, and sometimes even nasty people. Is the faith that you have, is it your faith or is it your mama and daddy's faith? Is the faith that you have about what God is doing in your own heart, or is it because, well, you're a good person who goes to church on a Sunday morning? Endurance begins to pull some of the motives 
the ill motives of our heart out. Do you believe what you say you really believe in? Do you believe it? Endurance brings about opportunity to really answer that question. Can you see God just in the palace? <laughs> or can you see him in the prison as well? James 1, verses 2 through 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work. And I want to highlight that. Let perseverance finish its work. There's no shortcuts for this. So that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. God is leading us into maturity so that the next time the COVID bug comes around, we're not just going to be busy sitting and looking at each other and saying, why aren't you wearing a mask? Or why are you wearing a mask? You know, for all of those sorts of things that go on in life where Satan wants to use even within the body of Christ our perspective and our belief systems to cause a division. So where we start looking at each other a little cross-eyed because they're not quite where we're at. I'm not talking about biblical-based theology doctrine here. I'm just talking about day-to-day -day life preferences, perspectives, so on and so forth. Okay, that's... God wants to draw that out of us by when we go through um, in moments of endurance where we're being tested. Maturity in us. He wants to grow that in us so that the moment the pastor makes a personal decision in leadership that they don't like, they don't have to just leave because... That's the immaturity that God is after in our hearts. He wants to pull that wah, 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 wah stuff out of us because we can get really wah, wah, wah because it's the culture we live in. It's the entitlement that surrounds all about us. It's, it's that it's my way or you're out of my life way kind of living that God wants to reveal in our hearts that he's, he's calling us to a higher place. Not lacking anything. I'm not lacking anything. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Endurance reveals discontentment that wants to flow out from our flesh. Hebrews 12, verses 11 through 13. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths so that your feet, for your feet, so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. My goodness, we laud those football players who get out there in June and start working out and doing two-a-days right in the heat. And they're having to take all of this water in just to be able to survive two-a-days. And we laud that, we applaud that. Why? So they can maybe go play a game when the fall comes around. And we get, whoa, whoa, wonderful. And yet, when God brings situations or people or circumstances into our lives, and it's like it's, he, he introduces the two-a-days to us, we go, oh, I don't really feel like doing two-a-days. I don't want to do this, right? Do I really have to? Yeah, grace is sufficient to get me to heaven anyway, even if I don't do the two-a-days. And we become presumptuous in our grace. And by the way, since we're on it, Joey, you can't out-preach grace. You just can't. Why? Because you can't cheapen grace no matter how hard you try it. You can't cheapen grace. You might fool yourself into thinking you can cheapen grace, but you cannot. God will not be deceived. God is not mocked. You can't preach grace enough because grace 
ultimately takes us back to that righteous standard that God is calling out on us. Amen? That was for free. Not sure where that came from. Endurance is designed to strengthen our spiritually weak bodies, our weakened knees and arms. Endurance is designed by God so that when we are spiritually broken, we become healed. Yeah, you can find healing in enduring. Endurance is designed by God to make a plain walk path for us among rocky and thorny ground every morning. That's what I know is on Joey's heart and others who share up here. We want to take all this thorny and rocky ground that's all around us that wants to get up and hurt the moment we stumble and fall and get it and prick at us and all of that. And, the, and it's through endurance that we define a well-honed path so that we can walk through that on a level ground, on a safe ground. And now... For the last portion of today's message, accessing the grace for endurance. So, grace is there. I mean, endurance is a part of our lives. It's God's plan. It's his intent. So, the question is, how do we appropriate grace to endure? I mean, it's not something you go to the grocery store and you spend 25 bucks and you get a pound of grace and you eat it, right? And then all of a sudden, you, you got this grace to endure. No, it doesn't come about that way. So we're going to look at Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 3. And by the way, this is a five-hour sermon in and of itself. I'm going to try to condense it down so your endurance will not wear out this morning. Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders, and this is me now, parentheses, throw off the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance or endurance the race marked out before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he Hupomoned the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who hupomoned such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So there's some to do steps, if you will, so to speak, in this verse. But first of all, I want to take a look at the context for this accessing of grace that the author is getting at when he says, therefore. I mean, it's like the author of the writer of Hebrews is saying, before I give you specific instructions on how to access the grace to endure, I want to paint a picture for you. A picture of millions of others who have gone through what you have gone through and more. And they found the grace to endure. And so he gives us this phrase, a great cloud of witnesses. What is he talking about? Because there's really, there's a lot of speculation if you go after this one. A lot of people look at this from a lot of different angles because there's not a lot of other teaching in Scripture about exactly what this means. But if you think about this cloud down, if you think of a dome, right? A dome, superdome or whatever. And down at the bottom is the racetrack where the athletes are where you are running your race, where you're fulfilling your purpose in life, where your mission is to run that race down there. And inside these stones, there's seats right up next to that uh, racetrack. And then they keep going up. The seats keep going up. They keep going up. They keep going up. And the cloud component is, think in terms of a dome where they got seats all the way to the top. 
I don't know how they get seats there. It'd be kind of cool. You'd be at a football game and you'd be looking straight down. The football players down there. Then you'd be tempted to spit on them just to see what happens. Oh, no. Do other people think of those things or is that just me? Oh, it's just me. Sorry. But that's the picture. That's the picture that the writer here is describing. He's saying, you are completely surrounded by others who have already run their race, and they're all saying, hey, you, Joey, keep running. Keep running. Come on. You can do it. You're completely surrounded in this dome, in this cloud of witnesses. So who are these witnesses? Well, if you go back into Hebrews 11, right? Those of us who've been going to church for a while, we know what's in Hebrews 11. The hall of faith, right? All those saints, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Sarah, you know, Rahab, I mean, Rahab, cool, Joseph, all of those people who were on this life and God had said, here, I want you to do this. And God not only said, I want you to do this, but he gave them a vision for what was to come. And you know what it says there in the 11th chapter, I think in the 13th verse, it says, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. Wow. Oh, God calls us to run a race, and we don't get to see the end product of everything. Ah, oh, come on, that doesn't seem fair. And yet, the essence of faith for Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, all of those who knew that God had called them out to a land so that they would rule and reign and they would be his people and he would be their God. And the people, the nations of the earth would go, oh, look over there in Israel. Let's go to Israel because God's doing such great things there. And they would drive out the evilness in the land. And none of that came to fruition but they never lost hope, even though to their last breath, they kept believing it. And the essence of endurance or the context for endurance is when we're going through life and things just simply are not working out, the vision that God has given us isn't all coming together in fruition and yet we continue to persevere through because we believe that God is up to something eternal within us. Amen. Amen. What we see here is that the context to endure is found in faith. The context to endure is found in faith. Faith opens the door to this grace. So, accessing to, to the, onto the to-do list. Number one, throw the weight off, right? Throw the weight off. Now, the Lord's given us that backpack, right? So, that's the thing that's trying to make it heavy for us. We're saying throw it off. What, what are we to throw off? The responsibilities and the things he's called us to? No. What was it last week? Joey was up here and he said, what did he say? Quit but don't stop? Or was it stop but don't quit? Pardon? Don't quit, give up. Huh? Quit, don't give up. So quit trying to carry the things. Don't quit. <laughs> no. Don't quit, give up. So give up, right, the weights 
the sins that easily beset us. But don't quit running, right? That's what God is asking. And I know each morning that I need to go to the Lord and take off my backpack and give it to him so that he can go through it and he can throw out what is not mine to carry and give that back. And you know, when he gives it back, I feel something on my back, <laughs> but it doesn't, it's fine. It's fine. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. Secondly, throw off the sin that so easily entangles. Come on now, don't let your sin get you down. Don't let sin become the reason why you stop enduring or running your race. If you want to access grace to persevere, we, have, we, must, we must be able to throw off guilt, condemnation, failure, shame, not good enough. Aren't you ever going to get anything right? All of those messages that the evil one wants to just hammer down upon us when we fall short of his glory. Don't judge yourself in your sin. Confess, repent, and get back up and keep running the race. Do you recall those saints that we were just talking about? The saints in the hall of faith? Are they in that hall of faith because they manage their moral life or their sin life so perfectly and morally well? No. That's not why they're in chapter 11 of Hebrews. They're there because they believed. They're there because they endured and kept moving on ahead in spite of their sin. Micah 7, verses 8 through 10 says, Do not gloat over me, my enemy. <laughs> that's the devil, right? After you sin, that's the devil. He's gloating over you. Yeah, sucker, you ain't really a Christian, or maybe you're not really a good Christian. So the enemy is gloating. But the writer says, though I have fallen, I will rise. <laughs> I will rise. You may have kicked my butt today, devil, but I'm going to rise. Though I sit in darkness, and you know, sometimes sin does that to us. It just kind of brings this cloud of, <sighs> Though I sit in that, the Lord will be my light. Listen, because I have sinned against him, I will bear the Lord's wrath. Now, this is Old Testament, and we know we're not under wrath, but we know we suffer consequences. We have kind of just the emotional doldrums, so to speak, the consequences of our own sin. Though, because I have sinned against him, I will bear the Lord's wrath, or I will accept his consequences until he pleads my case and upholds my cause. And I'm here to say this morning, we as New Testament believers, we can have that immediately after we sin. Immediately. We don't have to wait on the Lord. The Lord's waiting for us until he pleads my case and upholds my cause, he will bring me into the light. I will see his righteousness again, right? Then my enemy will see it, and my enemy will be covered with shame. So the goal in all of this is to take the very thing that Satan wants to use and throw our way when we fall short of his glory 
as we confess and repent, as we receive and renounce, and as we move back and avail ourselves to redemption and healing and forgiveness. We heap that same shame back upon the spirit of shame. And then last but not least, fixing our eyes upon Jesus. <sighs> this is good, except I don't really know how to preach on this. <laughs> this is a really, really good point, but I ain't got nothing for you. <laughs> How's that for some good preaching? <laughs> How do you fix your eyes on the Lord, on Jesus? You know, I, I can't tell you per se. I, I, I'm at loss for words this morning to tell you what it means to fix your eyes upon Jesus. I can try to use the word of God and stir things up and, and say, invite you to the water, but I can't make you drink this water, so to speak. Each of us are responsible to understand what fixing our eyes upon Jesus means for us. But I will share, however, what it means for me. Each weekday morning I enter into the sanctuary and it's always dark and it seems like the darker it is in here the more I can see Jesus Jesus is, is in here every weekday morning when I come in here that's all I can tell you and as I focus my thoughts my affections my mind upon Jesus, as I open up his word, all I can tell you is, is that as I avail myself and as I focus myself upon the Lord, whether that's a mental image in my mind or in my heart, however that might be, All I know is, is that I start seeing my situation like he sees it. I start seeing what is pressing against me as the Lord sees it. For me, fixing my eyes upon Jesus results in me seeing like Jesus sees. I get to see my situations and, and my anxieties in his light. <laughs> have, you, have you ever gotten a vision for how Jesus sees our anxieties? <laughs> I mean, it's like, for real. <laughs> I mean, for real. Mark, dude, man, let it go. Just let it go. Surrender, right? Quit. Don't stop running the race. But let it go because that isn't for you to fix. That person isn't for you to get all corrected. That anxiety you have about whatever it might be just melts in the presence of the Lord because anxiety has no place in the presence of the Lord. Your endurance is only as good as you surrender. Live in repentance and see as Jesus sees. When we position ourselves under these truths, we access that grace to go through. Remember, if you're going through it, God's already called you to it. You were made for this. <laughs> you were made for exactly what you've gone through. And I'm not here to minimize anyone's pain this morning. I'm not here to minimize the angst and the anguish of any one person because God knows that anguish and that angst and that pain can feel and, and cut really deep. And sometimes it's a, a good little journey to get the perspective we need on it. I understand that. I'm not here to minimize that. But the truth is, is that when we believe, when we set ourselves in that context for, of faith and know that God has called us to what we've he, he made us for what we're going through. And then we see it as he sees it. 
we will endure. And it's going to be so good when we get to the end of this. Because I could go on in this, right? Consider Christ who endured for the, the, the joy set before him. There's a sermon in that. You know, for what he went through on our behalf, you can, can encourage yourself in so many ways to endure just in those few verses alone there in the book of Hebrews. Let's pray. Father, give us wisdom as we face all the different things in life that want to press against us, that want to stress us out, that want to overwhelm us, that want to scare us, all those scary things in life. And Father, I thank you that for such a time as this, you have brought everyone here to hear the word of the Lord and to endure as they trust you, as they surrender, as they see your heart for their circumstances, their situation. Through it all, through it all, my eyes are on you. Through it all, through it all, it is well. Through it all, through it all, my eyes are on you. And it is well with me. Through it all, through it all, my eyes are on you. Through it all, through it all, it is well. Through it all, through it all, my eyes are on you. And it is well with me. Amen. Take that peace of knowing it is well and walk out of here with it and share it with others. Amen.